Welcome to the Courageous Worth Podcast. I'm your host, Empowerment Coach, Ashley Baxter. Every Tuesday, I bring you interviews with inspiring guests, and every Thursday, I share a little message with tips to help you live with courageous worth because you are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Today on the Courageous Worth Podcast, I have my friend, April Garcia. April is an international business advisor, performance coach, and speaker on strategy and mindset. She's the host of April Garcia's Pivot Me podcast and creator of the Breakthrough Digital course on time management called Multiply Me. This episode is so good that I actually need to divide it into two. Otherwise, it would have felt as if you were drinking out of a fire hydrant. So in order to catch everything, I've put it into two episodes. So stay tuned for next Tuesday's episode to hear the rest of our chat. Also, don't miss out on my recap and thoughts from each episode that comes out on Thursdays. We'll jump into the interview right after this message. If you long to value yourself more, stop negative self-talk, find more confidence, break free of other people's opinions, or gain a better view of your body, then I would love to talk to you. Each of those descriptions were a constant reality for me at different points in my life. I want to help you experience change in those areas like I have. Therefore, I want to give you a special invite to request a free worth strategy call with me by visiting theashleybaxter.com backslash call. Again, that URL is theashleybaxter.com backslash call. I look forward to talking to you soon. I am here with one of my friends, April Garcia. April and I both met one another at a brand builders group event. We both use them for our branding and other things with our business. And my first impression of April was just that she is a firecracker powerhouse. She just has so much energy. She is such a giving person with her time and heart and expertise. And I have just loved getting to know you so much. (laughs) I'm also incredibly jealous of where you live and that you're just a short drive from Lake Tahoe. It's not fair, but I'm thankful that you share images and stories on Instagram. (laughs) I do, I do. Uh, Well, tell everyone, like, what does a day in the life of April Garcia look like? Sure, I'd love to. First, I've got to say, though, Ashley, it's funny that you said about giving of your time and that you see my stories on Instagram stories, because I remember meeting (laughs) Ashley, and I think this was the second time we actually met, too, and us standing in, like, a conference room in Nashville and her showing me how to do an Instagram story and me standing there like a technological Luddite, like, how does one do this? And you (laughs) sat there and walked me through how to do an Instagram story. So any Instagram stories that you've seen, I really have you to think <laughs> Well, and I have to say that it says a lot about you because you immediately started doing it. Like I think by that time we were all gone, <laughs> you were like doing stories all the time. So I love how yeah. you commit to something I do. right away. I do. It's kind of like my jam is, um, I, uh, we always say internally that I practice what I call violent execution, which is like, I get it done and I get it done super fast. Like I don't, Like once I decide on the path, I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like we're already behind. Let's go. Um, And using Instagram stories may have been an example of that. Like I was like, all right, I go, I know enough. I know enough to be dangerous. Let's do this right now. So (laughs) yeah, thank you for that. Thank you for that. So back to your original question, I believe it was, what was the day in the life of April Garcia look like? Yes. So I am an early riser. That is by design, not by nature. I was a night person before, but I do get up really early, usually four or five in the morning. Um, mornings are very, very important to me. I'm a huge believer of uh, win the morning, win the day. So I have a morning routine that I do in the morning. I follow a thing called Savers, which is based off of the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. Um, Great book. And it's everything from 
silence to affirmations, visualizations, exercise, reading, and S is for scribe, which is just journaling, but they really needed something to fill the S. Um, (laughs) So I have a really strong morning routine. Um, I really avoid deviating from that if possible. Um, I'll mention if any of your audience that's listening has kiddos, the key to a morning routine is doing it before your kids wake up. Um, so you can still own your morning before they own it. Um, I, uh, start work very early. I mostly work with East coast and, uh, overseas clients. So that actually works pretty well because then I start my day very early. It's a lot of video chats for work. So we do a lot of conference calls. Again, we work with clients all over the world. Um, the great thing about, as everybody knows now, zoom, um, but platforms like that are great ways to connect. So mostly run my business, especially now through those. Um, work with a lot of clients. Um, I run a lot of masterminds, which are amazing and wonderful. And I do it just because, um, you just align with such, such phenomenal people and help them get to their goals and just seeing it in a group setting and the dynamics, it's just fun, fun experience. So a lot of meetings, a lot of calls, I talk a lot, I listen a lot. Um, and then, uh, um, after that I run a, um, but I run a consulting firm Maven and, um, so we work with a lot of different kinds of clients. So it's never, there's never a dull moment. It's very, very exciting stuff. Um, as I believe you mentioned earlier, I'm also a podcaster. So there's podcasting mixed into this, which is weird because I'm constantly shifting hats, right? So like from one more, one moment, I'm looking at a spreadsheet and doing budget reports and the next second I'm, you know, recording a podcast and then I'm on with a client who's struggling launching a product in the U S and it's a lot of different hats, but I, um, love variety and I love change. So that works really well for me. Um, and then I'm usually off, um, earlier. Um, I have two young daughters and I spend a lot of time with them, which has been amazing. Also, again, that's part of the design of me working earlier in the day is so I can be off. We're super, super active family. So most afternoons involve, you know, the mountains and swimming in rivers. And there's a lot of frog catching and, um, boogie boarding lately and things like (laughs) that and, and mountain bikes. Um, so it's really, really active afternoons. Um, so it's a good balance of, I love being an entrepreneur. I love owning my own business. I love leading teams of people. Um, and I also really love, um, being a mom and having really like active, dedicated time to them. So I make sure that every day is, um, fairly balanced in those. We never, we never hit it out of the park every day, but, um, for the most part, I've got kind of checks and balances to make sure those things stay, um, balanced the way they should be. Balance the way that, let me rephrase that. I make sure that the the day is uh, balanced in the way that suits suits me and my family. Yeah. Well, and I love little tidbits of getting to know your family from just hanging out with you online and then seeing stories of them. And they, I can just tell that you are raising two girls that get to be themselves. Like, I just love their creativity and all the little mishaps they get themselves into. (laughs) True. You're talking about when they got the hula hoop stuck in the tree. That was a pretty common one. Yes. Yeah. It's always something. It's hula hoop stuck in the tree. Or I think I was sharing with you that my my seven-year-old was missing the other day and I got to the back porch and she'd pulled like this little Ikea chair up to the fence and climbed the fence and was sitting on top of the fence talking to our neighbors in her like princess Jasmine um, pajamas. I thought she was getting ready for bed and brushing her teeth. And I was like, <laughs> Where'd she go? She's sitting on the fence talking to our neighbors, probably much to the horror of our neighbors who are trying to have like some private time. And there's my seven-year-old like, so what are you guys doing over there? Um, yes. So they're very much their own individuals. I, I try to meet them where they are and, you know, I'm kind of the bumpers in their lane, but ultimately they're going to bowl how they need to bowl. Mm, I love that. Well, and you already alluded to how you have so many hats <laughs> and you have had so many in your 
lifetime, you've, I mean, you've done real estate, you've done all these different things. And one of the ones that I have been particularly fascinated is that you are a scientist. So number one, I need to know, do you still own a lab coat? And then what area did you focus on? So, um, so no, I don't have a lab coat. I do still have the pocket protector and like the TI 89 calculator. So like the nerd, the nerd is strong still. Um, she's still here with us, but, um, yeah, so I mostly, so I had an affinity for just funny, not funny now, um, infectious diseases. I yeah. loved infectious diseases. So I wanted to be an epidemiologist. That's what I went to school for. I wanted to be, actually, I wanted to be a doctor that practiced medicine in um, sub-Saharan Africa. I wanted to work for um, Doctors Without Borders. I'm really passionate about humanitarian work. I've spent a lot of time overseas and I was just so fired up about that. Um, and I loved it. I still love the sciences. Um but I, I moved out of them and that was a, that was a really hard decision, but, um, uh, I still have an affinity for it. I actually kept all my old books from university and we were just going through one of them last night. Like my daughter was looking at a statistics or a calculus book, um, just last night. So it's interesting. It's all this knowledge that I don't necessarily get to use now per se. Um, I don't, I haven't used calculus in a very long time. <laughs> or have the need to know like Avogadro's number, but it's there should I need it. Yes. Um, but the plus is, you know, it's really just about um, critical thinking and, and like analytic, like um, having an analytical mind and critical thinking skills. And that applies regardless of what you're doing. So right, right. you miss the sciences. Well, and that just tells me that if I ever get on who wants to be a millionaire, you're going to be one of my lifelines. <laughs> <laughs> you call me up, I got you back. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was a big switch though. Like I, um, I left sciences to go into real estate, into, um, lending specifically. Um, I knew I wanted to be a real estate investor and, um, I kind of, I kind of live this double life, which has kind of been like a repeat theme in my life. Like I'm always juggling a lot of different things, but I would work in the lab or in the hospital. I was an EMT for 10 years. Like I was very much in sort of the medical field and the scientific field. And then by nights I was buying real estate and, fixing up rentals and negotiating deals and doing all these other things. And finally I said, okay, what, what job, you know, I need to align my job, my career with this path. I see myself as a real estate investor and I, I shouldn't be working as a scientist or in the medical field during the day and be a real estate investor at night if I really want to lean into this. So I kind of like did a, like a Rochambeau and landed on loan officer. It's not like I had this dying need to become a lender. Um, but I decided that that was the path that I would go down to become a real estate investor. And what's tough about this, and I, I do want to share this part, is when you're a scientist or any, or any field, right? Like you, especially if you spend a lot of time, whether it's in university or whether it's just you've invested a lot of time and money, all the things to become this, this thing, your identity gets really wrapped up in it. And so to walk away from that, was hard. Like I identified as a science and in school, you know, we kind of got all elitist about it. Like, Oh, we're the, we study the hard science, what, whatever that even means, but you, you kind of wrap your identity around it. And so to walk away from the hard sciences and just, just do something completely different, it was hard. Like the hardest part wasn't learning banking and financing and, and investment. All of a sudden the hardest part is, um, you know, ditching the ego at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's been certain jobs where I would go back and say, like if someone asked me, what are you doing right now? And if it was a job that I wasn't as proud of or didn't seem as elite or something to me, I would always say, but I used to do this. And it oh. it's a total pride thing. Totally. <laughs> An identity thing. Totally. So I totally get that. 100%. You see, uh, you see it, Sam at home moms do that all the time. 
all the time. And you just want to go, what you're doing is about the hardest job in the world. Like you don't Absolutely. need to add like, <laughs> you know, any kind of disclaimer of what you used to do. Cause we know what you're doing right now is the hardest job. Exactly. So, it's so true. It's so oh. true. Hey there, it's Ashley. I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're looking to gain more confidence, you can get started today by taking my free short video course entitled Four Mindsets to Deep Rooted Confidence. You can sign up for it at theashleybaxter.com backslash free course. So pause this episode right now and head over to theashleybaxter.com backslash free course to grab your free gift. Well, share a little about, about your business now, what you do, who do you help and how? Sure. Sure. So um, I am a business advisor. I'm an international business advisor and a performance coach. And uh, speaking of what we were just talking about previously, I worked with big business. So I came from corporate America. I worked on the big business side. So big, um, big manufacturers, big uh, distributors, uh, global companies. And they were really, you know, say smallest was maybe like 750 million and then up to maybe three or four billion. So really big companies. And it was great and wonderful. Um, I enjoyed what I did, but uh, to get real change, real, um, a real pivot, if you will. It was hard because you're talking about this big behemoth of a company. And about a few years ago, probably about two or three years ago, I started switching to the smaller companies, um, smaller revenue size companies where you could make the same changes, but they could be implemented. It probably goes back to the whole violent execution, how I like things to happen really fast and make big sweeping pivots quick. But I realized that the same tools and techniques that we used in the bigger companies could be used in the smaller companies and it made a radical shift. And here was the cool thing that I saw. I saw it with a very first small client, smaller business that I worked with, which was the same changes I could make in a, say, a $700 million organization. When you make that in a $30 million organization, it's not just that the company does better. It's not just that the net profit goes up or you enter a new market. The owner's life completely changes. Mm. And that's what I got addicted to is that they started going home earlier at nights. They stopped working all weekends and started being able to go to the cabin with their family or get it in time to go to the gym at lunch or whatever it is that they were really missing out on. They got to do that because of the kind of the big business tips that they were now using at their level. And then I became addicted to it. So now fast forward to today, I work with those kind of smaller to mid-sized businesses and I work with them with their processes and techniques. But oftentimes um, in a business that size, you got to work with the owner's mindset. Um, so I do a lot of strategy and also mindset work with the owners and help them, we say, get to the next level of success. So that can mean anything. Sometimes that means, hey, I just want to make more money. Hey, I want to launch a new product. Um, but we're really focused on contribution focused business owners. So like I want to make more money because I'm going to do this thing with it. Um, there's nothing wrong with if you want to a jet or another house or whatever. that's fine. You do you, but like, let's also put into something that's doing the greater good. And, um, I would say the older that I get, the more important that is to me. Um, because before my two worlds were very separate when I came, when I worked in corporate America, I was still very much a humanitarian worker. Um, but to be honest with you, I had to hide it. Nobody mm. knew I did it. So like they would know I'd go on vacation, but I couldn't say, well, I was actually in Guatemala building a house. Like I couldn't say those sorts of things. Um, and uh, that was okay when I was younger. And then I realized that, that my life wasn't congruent. And I was like, man, I need to be in an environment where that stuff is celebrated. Um, not that it looks as like a weakness or that you're not as dedicated or that you don't have the grit or all those sorts of things. Um, and so fast forward to today, 
I purposely seek out businesses that are that are doing that same kind of thing, whether it's humanitarian work or that's just some big passion that they've got that like, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to turn around and mentor these, you know, at-risk kids or I'm going to start this nonprofit. Um, so now I specifically work with companies like that. But, you know, it's high performance. It's it's about, hey, how do I get to the next level? How do I manage my time better? How am I a better leader? How do I show up with more with more confidence or executive presence? What Whatever it is, it's a whole bunch of things. Um, but we just work with them on a, on a, on a variety of things. And it's just been a huge, a huge pivot and a lot of fun. I love that. Well, and of all the humanitarian work that you've done, I'm sure Mm -hmm. that each of them have been so special to you and meaningful in different ways, but what is one of them that really sticks out to you that has been meaningful? Gosh, there's two that just stuck out. I'm trying to say two. (laughs) Um, so one was, I'm going to get emotional about it. Mm -hmm. Um, one was, um, one, uh, 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 there's two. So the one that I, the first one I'm thinking about is in, um, is in Costa Rica and we went and built for this young family. And, um, I, I usually led the trip. So I was leading this, this humanitarian project. We built this house and it was great and wonderful experience. And then my husband and I were going to stay on in Costa Rica afterwards. And we found out that the, the, the couple that we were building for, they lived 40 minutes from the ocean in Costa Rica, you know, beautiful ocean, beautiful seascape. And, um, they had never seen the ocean. And wow. she was, well, actually she was probably about 30 and he was about 35 and they'd never seen the ocean. And it blew my team's mind. Cause they're like, how, you know, they're 40 minutes away from it. I'm like, by car, there wasn't a car in that driveway. And, um, so long story short, my husband and I stayed behind in Costa Rica, took, flew the team out from San Jose. We rented a car and drove back and we picked them up and we drove them to the ocean. Oh. Me emotional. I never even cry, Ashley. Man, um, okay, I'm tearing up too. <laughs> it's uh, we drove them to the ocean, and that was a really gosh, I haven't thought of this in years. Awesome experience. Like I'll never forget her in the back seat. It was it was them, and then their young son. And um, we came like I crested the hill, and then you could see the ocean. And I remember she said, "Oh my gosh, it's so big!" Like she was so taken by the vastness of the ocean. And and um, I still have a picture that I have floating around somewhere, and. Um, and they're just sitting on the beach and holding their son, looking out at the ocean and just totally flabbergasted by it. Mm-hmm. And like, it was such a, um, a simple thing to do. Like for us, it was like, oh, we'll stay late and we'll go rent a car. And, um, it's a few days of convenience, a few hundred dollars of convenience. Um, but it completely changed their perspective of the world. Like yeah. there was a good chance they would have never seen the ocean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, that was a pretty, pretty, pretty powerful experience. Um, and the, uh, the second one, so you'll have to, you'll have to pick which is your favorite. Um, <laughs> um, we were building in an Island, um, off of, um, Columbia. And a lot of times when you do these builds, um, politicians will come out for kind of photo ops. Mm. Um, and so there was, there was one and that's pretty customary. And sometimes we'll do a press conference there and kind of like, Hey, this is what's happening to support the community and things like that. And, um, that was happening. And, um, there was a press conference that was happening and the mayor, mayor wanted to take photos holding a bag of cement with me. So it happens a lot where you're like standing there posing, <laughs> holding a bag of cement and he's got the other bag of cement. We take the photo and then, then he's gone afterwards. They, they stuck a camera in my face and they asked me, um, you know, how it was going. And, and that happens a lot. They're like, what, what would you like to see differently? And I just, um, said, none of the girls in the village go to school. I would like to see that the girls in the village go to school. Um, and I shined a light unknowingly on this huge gap, which is that the women in that village, the young girls in the village did not go to school. And, um, so that, 
fast forward, the girls ended up going to school and got an education. And that was a really awesome experience to know that it's just a simple thing. You just, I made a comment because I'm like, well, I've given, I've been given a platform and I can't help but notice all the boys are in school and the girls aren't allowed to go to school. So I'm going to say something. And, um, so I did, and that was nine years ago now. So now they're, you know, graduating from high school and that's pretty, pretty amazing. So I actually want to go back there and, um, and visit them. Yeah. And just kind of see how their life trajectory has changed. Completely. After that. Com- I mean, you that one statement led to different steps that have opened a whole new lane of possibilities for them that they would have never had. For sure. And just showing, and this is like definitely a theme in my life, is just I love showing people what is possible. And I remember in that same build, it was one of the only builds where we used um, <laughs> we used power tools. Usually it's like shovels and like you mix the cement by, by hand or by, by shovels that the the handles are usually tree limbs. Um, I mean, it's, it's pretty tough conditions, right? It's really tough construction and it, that the place ended up being volcanic rock. So you could like three hours with a pick and I was like, okay, we need to find another option. (laughs) So we found out that there was one jackhammer on the Island. So one of the guys hops on the back of someone's moped and goes around until he finds the one jackhammer this is where I learned that you could actually connect three extension cords together up a hill <laughs> that God. does not have power and the jackhammer still has enough juice to run, right? So we're trying to like jackhammer out this, this volcanic rock and I'm jackhammering and I'll never forget the, the, the soon-to-be owner of the house comes up to me and she says, I didn't know women could jackhammer. And I was like, oh, honey, we can do a lot of things. Come on over. Fast forward to the afternoon and she's jackhammering and she's got this big smile on her face. (laughs) And it was just like, that's what I want on a t-shirt is that moment of her running a jackhammer um, and just realizing, oh, wait, this is, this is possible. Like, this is absolutely possible. And she just, it had never occurred to her that she could run a jackhammer. So, um, it was a pretty amazing moment. I Same love trip. it. I, I, I love them both. Ne- neither one wins. They're tied. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hadn't thought about them in forever. When you brought them up, I was like, oh, I do have a couple of them. Yeah. There's so many stories like that. There's so, oh gosh. It's just an amazing, amazing experience. Humanitarian work is so, you know, I spent a lot of time traveling overseas, which was wonderful, but then it got to be a point where I spent a lot of time in developing countries mm-hmm. and you could only spend so much time witnessing the the challenge and the disparity and all the things. And then you said, no, no, I can't just bear witness to this. Yeah. Like I have to jump in and do something. And so I, you know, kind of took to the internet and said, how do I best do this? And, and since then I do it in a lot of different ways, but that was one of the things that I landed on is, okay, I'm going to do construction projects. I'm going to do water filtration projects. And now I do like entrepreneur, like microfinancing projects and stuff. And it's just, when you see it, you're like, I, I've got to do something about it. And all of us have the power to do something about it. So mm-hmm. I just kept trying to figure out little ways that I could do something. Oh, I could talk about that forever. We'll have to have you on it multiple times to share multiple stories. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me for the episode thus far. As shared in the interview, we both use Brand Builders Group. If you're looking for a proven system and process to take your personal brand to the next level, I want to highly recommend and introduce you to my good friends at Brand Builders Group. Brand Builders Group helped me get clear on my message, who I'm creating my message for, the services I want to focus on, and how to help my message go as far as possible. From keynote speaking to writing books to podcasting to social media and so much more. Also, the community within Brainbridge Group is phenomenal. The amazing support, advice, and friendships I have gotten in the Brainbridge Group community have been life-changing. 
Brand Builders Group is the best in the world at helping you find your uniqueness so that you can build and monetize your personal brand. And right now they are offering a free brand strategy call to anyone who is serious about taking their personal brand to the next level. To request a free call, just email me at ashley at theashleybaxter.com. It's Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, Baxter, B-A-X-T-E-R. Their team is amazing and they will really help you get clear about your strategy to help you build more influence, impact, and income. Again, to request your free call, just email me at ashley at theashleybaxter.com. I know you'll thank me later for it. With everything you've done, all the hats that you've worn, everything, where did this entrepreneur spirit come for you? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I've been thinking about that. I think it was my problem with authority. Mm. <laughs> I think it's that. <laughs> it's uh, and That happens with a lot of entrepreneurs is I just didn't want to listen to anybody else. <laughs> I understand. Uh, so I, I think, you know, I will tell you again, I wore multiple hats. So I worked in corporate America for a very, very long time, but I would run businesses on the side while, I mean, I was like the queen of, of side hustle before they called it side hustle. Right. Um, and so I wore both hats. So I was an ex- excellent corporate employee doing all the things, checking all the boxes. But then I also had, you know, 10 rental properties and I'm driving to such and such to make an offer on this. And like, I, I always had multiple different options. I always knew I wanted to, um, for me, entrepreneurism was also sort of, um, getting to create my own destiny. Mm. Like I was, I was designing my future, designing my life, designing my day. And, um, that was always the end goal is to be a successful business owner, to run multiple businesses and also, um, provide jobs for people. I'm very passionate about that. Um, and so I can't say there was like this one moment, everybody's got the story of like the lemonade stand or like (laughs) selling candy bars to kids. And I did all those things. Um, but I don't know if there was one defining moment other than, um, I just wanted to make my own rules. I didn't want to, even though by day, by eight to five, I was really good at following someone else's rules. Um, I knew that that wasn't the end all be all, that I was going to create a whole new game. If I didn't like the game, I was going to create my own game. Instead of complaining about the existing game, I was like, ah, I'll just take my ball and go create another one. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, I didn't want to listen to other people. Yeah. That's what was, Ashley. Yeah. Well, and along that journey, what are some mindsets that really helped you pursue that? I'll say staying in your own lane. Um, a lot of people do the comparison thing and that will rob us of our confidence um, it will, it will question our ability. Uh, it's just, I, I really had to teach myself to stay in my own lane. Honestly, one of the first things I had to teach myself was, which is why I was joking around about getting emotional over, um, um, the, my humanitarian work was controlling my emotions. That was one of the first things I had to. So whether that's being angry, whether that's being sad, whether that's being hurt, the first thing I had to do is like wrangle that in. Um, for me, I learned that you can't always trust your emotions. Sometimes they just got to be something that floats by. And if you got to handle business, like you can't like submit to your emotions and fall into a big puddle. You got to like, nope, nope, I got to stand up and I got to press on. So I think it was controlling my emotions um, and also making sure that I was telling myself a really good story about what I was doing and why I was there instead of what, what so many of us are just, our brains are so naturally inclined to do, which is tell us all the reasons why we shouldn't be in that room. We shouldn't be climbing the corporate ladder while we don't belong, when we have imposter syndrome, all of those things. Like I had to make a decision that I would not think the way my brain was naturally wanting to think and that I was going to choose different. A big premise of my, of my company now, my brand is um, if you change your story, you'll change your life. And Mind you, it's not go out and create a new story. It's not, you know, it's, it's taking the existing story that you have and just 
deciding to believe something better about it, deciding to believe something more empowering about it. Um, I had to practice that a lot. It did not come natural. Um, so, I mean, there's the normal skill sets, right? If you're climbing the corporate ladder, you got to get good, you know, the hard skills, the soft skills, you got to get good at software and, you know, know your way around office and things like that. Um, but really the thing that people have to master is the mindset. Mm. Um, so much of even now the work that I do, you know, people come to me and they want to get to the next level of success. And it's very rarely a skill that they've got to, you know, they don't need another degree. No, you don't really need the MBA. Not that there's anything wrong with an MBA, but I see a lot of people, um, turn to things like that or like, Oh, I'll get this other certification or all this. Really what they're having to tackle is, is self-confidence and mindset. And mm-hmm. if they could, if they can slay that dragon, like all the other doors open, because we've all watched someone who is less talented than us and less, you know, well-spoken or I- insert whatever it is. And yet they rise to the top and everybody's scratching their head going, well, why does that piece of art get to hang in the, the museum? Why does, why does that gal song get to play on the radio or why, you know, everybody's worked. If you worked in sales, I worked in sales for years and everybody knows the guy who's the golden boy that goes to the top and you're like, why is that guy? He's not even that good. Well, it's because he believed he could. And that often is enough. So managing your mindset is huge in, in everything we're doing, whether that's climbing the corporate ladder, whether that's adding more value to your clients. Um, you've got to make sure you're telling yourself an empowering story and that you're managing your mindset and don't trust every emotion you have. Yeah. Well, and with that, with the emotions, like how has that kind of played out for you in regards to, I feel like there's one area of how women are easier... I don't know what the right thing to say, like how this whole thing of like a man could, I feel like you're, you're talking about like um, deciphering your emotions and as to what's true and what's not. um, Mm -hmm. And not the whole conversation of how, you know, if a man gets frustrated at work and shows it that it comes across usually as totally fine and permissible. But if a woman gets upset at work and shows it, it's, she's a loose cannon and and all Mm -hmm. these things. Yeah. So there's definitely a double standard. Like I'll be the first to say there's absolutely double standard. Um, Having said that, we don't always help ourselves out. So it's a combination of addressing the double standard that exists, but it's also addressing ourselves and how we show up. This is, uh, I'm trying, well, I'm just going to speak candidly and this may not be popular, but what what I'm thinking about, the first thing that comes to mind as you say, this is women crying at work. And um, that's, and if my sister's listening to this now, she's good. She's already starting to bristle because um, she thinks it, that that this just happens. It's natural and it's not that big of a deal. And I always tell her there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> and so we're totally at opposite ends. And, um, you know, I, I think that likewise, let me, let me make that analogous to, okay, a, a woman gets upset and she gets hurt and she cries at work. A man gets frustrated and he knocks his book off the table. Both of them to me, need to be wrangled in. Like both of those need to be handled differently. To me, they're both, if you will, explosions of emotion. Maybe one's more aggressive and one's more passive, but really they're, someone has let the emotions get the better of, and we've all been there. Like we've all been there. But uh, I will tell you what was a big piece in my early twenties was learning how not to freaking cry at work. And it was something I had to work on for a long time because sometimes it can be an eight, like we get upset or we get hurt or this, that. And, and this was something at 22, I remember consciously going, don't cry, don't cry. In fact, I had a client just a couple of days ago was asking me, you know, when I get in these stressful negotiations, my face gets red and I don't know what to do. Do you have any tips? And so I started giving her tips about when you get nervous in a meeting or you have to confront someone. And I was giving her tips on when your face gets red. And I said, oh, that used to happen to me. And I would get hives down my neck and my chest. And I would wear like 
tall shirt so that you couldn't see it. And she was blown away. She's like, I can't believe that used to happen to you. Like you're such a powerhouse and you're like so calm all the time. And I'm like, I I taught myself to do that. I'm like, absolutely. I have all these techniques bringing cold bottles of water, you know, again, wearing tall shirts and stuff just so people didn't see how face, how red my face was getting. What is that doing? I'm teaching myself to control my emotions. I'm teaching myself that when I'm, I'm negotiating with someone who is older than me, that has more power than me, that maybe looks a lot like my father, like I'm learning to, um, wrangle that in so I can stay on task and be clear on the objective. So I don't know that crying at work is necessarily where you're going with this, but I always, I'm very aware of, 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 of projecting the image that I want to project. And I'm not saying false. I still, I believe in being authentic too, but if I'm in a leadership role, I need to conduct myself like a leader. Now that doesn't mean I don't have any vulnerability. And that's a, that's a line us leaders all have to walk of demonstrating vulnerability and being human and connecting on a very emotional level but also demonstrating leadership. And um, if I'm sitting at my desk crying, my team might look at each other and go, "Uh oh, what's going on? Should we be worried? Because they're keying off of me. Um, And so I think that we can't have the double standard of it's okay for men to have an explosive outburst at work and it's not okay for women because then they got wandering wounds and they're loose cannon and all that stuff. And I totally have, have seen that happen. But I do think that we've got to help ourselves too in that regard of like, okay, well, think about... um, you think about it like a personal brand. Think about what you want people to say about you when you're not in the room. And I, I want, I don't want to be the person that gets really emotional and upset when she's under pressure. Like I want to be the the cool cucumber that handles pressure well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I answered. No, you did. No, it was there. Okay. There's not a. <laughs> okay. It was an exploratory question. <laughs> yeah, and and again, it's not. It doesn't come. It did not come natural. It was definitely something I focused on a lot and. Like I said, my sister and I square off about this all the time. And, um, you know, but, but we also, you know, come from different backgrounds. Obviously we're sisters, but we study different things. We do different things for business and stuff. And she's also one of the toughest people I know. So it's funny to me for her (laughs) to say that I'm like, seriously, you're tough as nails. But, um, a big part of it was just controlling how, um, like making sure that I was showing up the way that I wanted to show Mm -hmm. up, you know, and not being all up in my head, um, or not being insecure. It's more just like, I wanted I had an image in my mind of who I wanted to be, and I was going after her. Right, right. And I think, and what I was kind of getting from some things that you're saying is also figuring out how your voice and your perspective can best be heard and perceived. And a lot of that is reading the room and the environment mm-hmm. and knowing just little shifts that you could make to make that heard clear. There are huge. There are huge. And when I said that we have to help ourselves, and again, obviously, I'm, in this regard, I'm speaking um, of women and specifically, and I can speak from my own personal experience, but we've got to do things to help ourselves in that if the goal is to have your message be received, you need to deliver it in a way that it will be heard. And that's true of, of men or, or someone maybe who's prone to yelling too. People don't always hear your message when you're yelling. Your delivery is, is overshadowing your message. So we've got to be cognizant of that. But as women, we need to make sure, okay, well, we can't sit in the corner of a room and we can't speak quietly and go, how come nobody listens to me? And that's something I've seen many, many times. I can remember, um, I hope she's not listening to this, but I remember a meeting that I was in one time in, um, in Toronto and it was a round table full of men. And most of my career, I've worked with only men. Um, more times than not, I was the only female in the room. And this time there was another woman, which I did not know her, but she came and sat right next to me. And I knew why she did that because I was the only other woman in the room, but I'm like, all right, that's fine. And then there was a topic that came up. It was a four hour meeting. It was long. It was, everyone was tired. I had too much coffee. And 
um, the, the CEO and the VP were squaring off and they were talking about something that she was the expert in and she was a director level. And she sat there being frustrated that nobody was asking her opinion, but just let them go back and forth. Let the, and this went on for, and she kept looking at me and she'd like tap my arm, like, oh, can you believe this? Just so outraged. And she kept raising her hand. And I remember I was like, oh, well, okay. We can't, we can't raise our hands. We're not in grammar school. Like you're a director level. Um, and this is going to ruffle some feathers, but you're a director level in a large corporation. You need to assert yourself. You cannot wait to be called on. And so it's really important how we deliver our message, but we can't wait for opportunity to knock. We can't wait for someone to ask our opinion. It's great. And as a leader, I try to remember to ask people's opinion. I do. That's part of managing team dynamics. But you know what? I tend to hear the people that offer their opinion. I tend to hear the people that go, hey, um, I've got some expertise in this and I think you should know this piece of information. I don't always remember to call on the person in the back of the room that maybe is hoping to be called on. Maybe he's got the expertise, but if you don't use your voice, nobody can benefit from the amazing information that's inside your head. So in that way, I do think we really have to, um, we have to help ourselves out in that regard. I love that so much. I I do feel like, I'll be honest, I totally have been in prior past career has been the person that raises their hand. I don't do that anymore. But no, no, but it's so true. Like it's so true. And so well, also, so it might be it might be in you. It's also our society. Like, here's the thing. I mean, anyways, that's kind of a tangent. But there's a lot of research that suggests our society doesn't particularly care for powerful women, right? Um, We tend to associate them with some pretty negative traits. And so it's a combination of feeling like we should act this way and also the societal pressure of it's not received well when we don't act that way. Um, But if change's going to happen, we've got to go against the grain sometimes. That wraps up the first part of our conversation. For links and contact information, you can check out the show notes. I would love to know any takeaways you had from it. So please chime in on posts about this episode on social media, on either Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find me at the Ashley Baxter on all platforms. Also, if you haven't ever rated or left a comment about the show, please hop over to Apple Podcasts and do so right now. By doing so, you're helping these important messages of courageous worth reach more people. Now, make sure to check out the second half of this interview in next Tuesday's episode. Also, don't miss out on my recap and thoughts from this episode on Thursday. Until next time, remember that you are valuable and desperately needed in this world.
That wraps up today's episode of the Courageous Worth Podcast with me, your host, Ashley Baxter. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a five-star rating and review of the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to the show. Doing so makes a big impact in this show's message reaching more people. Also, did you know that there's a video version of this episode? Well, there is. Just head over to theashleybaxter.com backslash blog to find it, as well as show notes for this episode. I'm so thankful for you, and I'd love to continue building a relationship with you. So please connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok at the Ashley Baxter. If this particular episode was very impactful to you, please share a screenshot of it on your social media and tag me. Thanks again for listening. Make sure you are subscribed to the show and tune in every Tuesday for interviews with inspiring guests and every Thursday for a little message from me with tips to help you live with courageous worth. Until next time, remember you are valuable and desperately needed in this world.